Oh, what a treat we have for you on Hot Air this week. None other than David Morales on the show. Now, for people of a certain generation, it's this piano sample that we will forever associate with him. But let's not forget just how decorated a career he'd already had as both a DJ and a producer long before he sampled this in Needing You in the 90s. But all that's well documented. Uh, I did not want this interview to just be about the good old days and him telling us just how good they were. That would be a waste of a very opinionated man. David Morales is not playing games. When he says something, he says it. And so I thought a good topic to get him going would be the art of the house remix. Uh, not only how he's deconstructed the art form himself, uh, but also where the remix is today in an era where the kind of big budgets and major labels that were once his bread and butter have basically died a death. You know, what does he think this has done to the overall standard? Uh, so all that and plenty more after this. talk about remixing first of all because you really made your name as a remixer certainly to people over in the UK. Um, I remember being quite interested when I, uh, I read that Quincy Jones studied uh, Antonin Dvorak and he also taught himself how to conduct. This was to help with his production process. Was there anything that you did particularly anyone or anything that you studied which made you think right that's how to do a remix 
Um, well, you know what? I mean, I got turned on by remixing by, by Bruce Forrest, and he, he was a resident. We were both the residents at this club called Better Days in New York back in the early 80s. And he invited me to go to the, uh, to the studio and just, you know, come and check him out, you know. And um, so I, I was really intrigued by it. You know what I mean? And, you know, and at the club, I mean, we were remixing live. He had a, he had a Casio CZ-101 synthesizer. He had a rolling TR-505 drum machine, a couple of Korg samplers. This is 1985. 84, 85, 86. And it made me buy a, a Casio synthesizer and drum machine. So I first started cutting tape, doing edits for people. And then I ended up, uh, of course, uh, I was working on, on my own, like, I want to say, um, uh, my own edits of tracks. And then, um, of course, I asked somebody to let me mix their record. You know, and in the old days, to mix a record, it was really just taking the existing elements of the multi-track and arranging how you felt. And then it got to the point, okay, maybe you added a bass line or you added a piano or you added some, it started with just added a couple of tracks to the existing production. And then, of course, down the line, it evolved into, you know, once the, there, was, there was a machine called, it was a Lexicon 1100. And it was very expensive, and that's what we used to time-stretch vocals back in the day. I mean, to rent a machine alone was $1,000 a day. Because um, it's not like today, you, it's digital, and you, like, time-stretch in a second, you know what I mean? You have to, like... Run, it, was, it was, you know, it, it was a tedious process. I mean, you took all day just to time stretch vocals. It depends, depended on the, and we're talking about years ago where there was a lot of vocals in the tracks. Um, and then it became, I think the first, the first total mix that was changed when Steve Seal Curley uh, did Remember the Time by Michael Jackson. And he just got rid of the whole vocal. And it was a, it was a house remix, but that's what, that was a version that was popular. And every, after that, it was like everybody wanted a total flip of the remix, uh, for, uh, uh, of the version that had nothing to do with the song anymore. Um, for me, that's when remixing sort of like got bored because it was nice when you got a lot of different, I mean, I was mixing two or three records a week in my heyday, but there were different tempos. Not everything was a house, was, was, was a four and a four beat. And then it became this, and by the mid-90s, it was like, man, it was like four on the floor every time, boom, 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 boom. But also, the other thing is that, the, you know, here now, the record companies were using the remix to push the record that had nothing to do with the original version. And, you know, uh, I've been a victim at some records that I have mixed that the mix had nothing to do with the original and that record sold millions. You know what I mean? I got a one-time fee. Somebody else is getting rich. You know what I mean? The writers, the producers. It wasn't until maybe years later that um, I will get some production or, or even um, publishing on my version. Um, anyway, so I mean, 
You know, I obviously made my career from remix. I mean, it's what started my name. And I guess like everybody today, obviously it's, it's, it's still the same where, you know, people are getting known based on a record. Um, so my day, uh, just in the dumb days, you know, you, 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 everybody knew your name as a B-mixer, but that's not what got you gigs like today. Yes. You know what I mean? And I mean, you know, I still love, uh, I, I love the evolution of the technology. I think it's fucking amazing. It really is. Um, it's, it's great that it's made it easier for people to be more hands-on. Because it's, it's, you, you work fast as opposed to trying to tell somebody what you want done and then you're sitting there with your hands in your lap like and feeling stupid and like, and people get frustrated when, it's, it's one thing when you're doing it, you know what I mean? And it's time consuming but when you're doing it. But when it's somebody else and you're sitting there, it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, and it's different when you're hands on because you're more creative as opposed to when you're just giving your opinion, you know? So in, in the day, when we're, when we're back in the normal studio setup, where we've got a big record company, we've got engineers, we've got producers, we've got executive producers, where did you sit in that process, or did you do everything? Well, where did I fit? When a record company wanted me to mix a record, they sent it to me, I listened to it, I said yes. The record company has no more say. They're not allowed to sit in a, the only time, The only time I had somebody like really over my back was with Michael Jackson. When I, <laughs> when I did Scream and it was like the big, the big, uh, I mean, I had to fly to Los Angeles. I could even mix back in New York. I had somebody from the company like sitting in the room and like, and I was like, come on, it's like, this is a It's like, go in in a lounge or something. You know what I mean? You'd make I, an exception for Michael Jackson, I guess. It's just like, <laughs> oh yeah, but it was, you know, it, it, it was ridiculous. But you know, you know, I, I, I don't need somebody over my shoulder trying to tell me what I should do. Then, you know what, that's the case, then you do it. You understand what I'm saying? You know, when you have a, an A&R person that thinks, oh, well, you, sh you should do this, you should do, 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 do. It's like, listen, don't tell me, this is what I do for a living. This is what you hire me for. I mean, it's just some people have, can give you a good criticism, I'll call it. You know what I mean? Uh, for the most part. But to answer your question, your original question is, the ball is passed to me. And I... Give them a finished product. So what and then somebody else from the, the record company run with it and do what they're supposed to do with it. It's like an assembly line. Mm. I, mean, I, I had this theory about remixes in the 80s and, and the 90s where record companies had big budgets. I actually think that because it was part of some schedule, because it was you were assigned it, that actually helped focus the creativity, that, it, that the moment was more likely to be captured if you were given layers of something and you had a deadline. Do you think that it's a fair comment that some of the creative output was better because, because there was a, a schedule there rather than, say, an original track where people keep tweaking it, tweaking it, tweaking it and working on their own schedule? Well, you know, I think when, well, I mean, as a remixer, because, you know, 
when, when I was in, in demand, I mean, I had people lined up. I had remix, remixing booked for months in advance. Well, I tell people, oh, I can't get to it until then. But it wasn't a problem because, you know, and, and many times, I mean, if, 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 if I remix a record today, it wasn't coming out for another three, four, five, maybe even six months. You understand? Because as you say, they had their schedule. And yes, there was more money. There was more money in the business. So yes, the remixing budgets were phenomenal. You know what I mean? But you also spent more money. You understand? You, you rented a proper studio. You hired a proper engineer. Um, musicians, you know what I mean? Uh, rental gear in studios because studios, they just rented you the room with the basics. Any extra outboard gear, you had to rent all that stuff, you know? So, but also record company was spending a lot more money. They were investing and, you know, you had to manufacture. You had to manufacture vinyl. You had to manufacture the covers, the sleeves, the artwork, production department, promotional department. You know, you had a machine to work the product. Did the machine help focus your mind? No, because I had nothing to do with the machine. Uh-huh. You, you just understand? got on with it. I had nothing to do with the machine. It was a job. I, I, I was turning out records in 48 hours. You know what I mean? In and out. You know what I mean? So there was no tweaking. There was no going back. You understand? You know, it's like having a jam session. You know what I mean? Some records you do are better than others. You know what I mean? I've done some crap records. You know what I'm saying? I'd be the first. I mean, listen, I was in the, I was, I was, my profession was a remixer. So it wasn't about pick and choose. Even though I picked and choose, but when you're making that kind of money back in them days, I'm talking about your average budgets were 25 grand. I mean, so, and up. So, you know, your job was to make a dance record out of what they gave you. That was it. So it wasn't about, oh, whether it's gonna be a hit, whether it's gonna be, no, 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 no. It's like being, it's no different. Listen, there could have been a record company that could have hired me be my be their in-house remixer just to make their 12-inch club mixes. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's just doing my best with, what there is. Whether it's gonna be someone, it's gonna be amazing, of course not. Some records gonna be, you know, some gonna hit it off more, you know, you know, uh, more than others. So now we fast forward 30 years. And in today's market is like, I'm I don't need to mix a record. Do you understand? Um, to make a mark, to say. I prefer to make a record. Do you understand? And even though remixing over the years has become where you're actually giving away your record, you're giving away your music, just putting somebody else's vocal on it. But you're not getting no royalties, you're not getting no publishing, you know what I'm saying? So I, but Jamiroquai is happy. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, for me, it's, you get to a point that, you know, if I want to mix a record today, and, and I like mix, I still like mix, listen, you know, listen, we're in my hotel right now, I have my laptop. My studio is with me all the time, on the plane, in an airport, in a car. When I get an idea, boom. I mean, you know, before I went to, to, to work at Glitterbox last night, it's like, um, I, I got this idea for, for a Relight My Fire tool, and, and I started on the plane coming over from Zurich. And even though I had to go to the club, it was like, here I am, like, tweaking things, like, just trying to get, like, a, like a rough thing going so I can play in the night. It's not finished, but you know, and, and, and I, I still get excited. I mean, and I think a lot has to do, like I said, it's great that it's hands-on, whereas before, 
it's very intimidating. You walk into a room and it's like there's all this gear going on. I mean, the desk alone, you're like, wow. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, so I knew how much how to work, how to work the board in them days. But as far as all the extra things, and it's like, it's so time consuming. And it takes away, it takes your brain away from the creative process. Takes away the immediacy. You, you can lose the inspiration. Well, absolutely. When you're getting fucked trying to tweak something, it's like you're supposed to be creating. I mean, see, unless you're you're programming a sound, and that's another story. But we're talking about when you have into engineer. And la, 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 la. I mean, you know, uh, there was a process. You know what I mean, today with with a lot of the 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 technology, how it has changed. Excuse me. Is that people are trying to do it all themselves. And it sounds that way. You understand? There's a, there's a, there's a, what's the word I want to use? Um, uh, you compromise somewhere. You can't say you know how to mix a record. You can't say you know how to master a record, engineer a record, do it all. You're like, oh, I could do it all. Man, there's some guys that went to school for that shit. You understand? You know? I don't want to know how to engineer. You know what I mean? I'm not interested in it. You know what I mean? I, I should have learned how to play a piano 30 years ago. I would have been an amazing piano player. It's, it's, you know what I mean? I'm a DJ. Uh, I work different. I like to do my things. Yeah, I like to do a program. I know what I'm good at, and that's what I exploit. Coming in is a Steve Silk Hurley remix of Michael Jackson, Remember the Times. The one that Morales said made everyone look at remixes a whole different way.
Yeah, when this came out in the early 90s, Steve Sorkerly was just everywhere. Ask any DJ from somewhere like Hacienda, and they'll tell you they were playing three or four Steve Silk Hurley tracks just in one set, week in, week out. The man was prolific. Uh, so anyway, uh, we resume the remix conversation by moving to the present day, uh, and how being able to do things on the fly has changed the process. My laptop is enough in a little 25 key, key keyboard that allows me to, to travel all over the place. Imagine this, it's like a studio in a sense, whereas before, my God, you needed a room to put all that stuff in. So it's helped you creating DJ tools. How, what do you think it's done for the overall standard of the remix now, the extra accessibility? I, I think, like I said, I think for me, I love it. I can have somebody send me vocals and I don't have to book a session. Yeah, so it's good for you. You know what I'm saying? It's like, boom. You know what I mean? It's like, after I'm done with your interview, it's, you know, I'm going back to sit over there and I want to arrange because, because I'm in a moment on this tool that I'm doing. So it's just, it just has, has made it where it's easier. You know what I mean? Um, and because I was never the most computer guy, like I'm not into Pro Tools a little, you know, and even larger, like I love Ableton. Ableton is my, is my hero because it's, it's made, <laughs> I say, it's, it's made for dummies. I'm a yeah. dummy. <laughs> I'm the session kidding. view of Ableton will probably remind you it's of just, the old sequences. It's, it's just, well, no, but you know what? I was never really into the computer stuff, you know what I mean? I mean, I program with sequences and, 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 uh, and, uh, and things like that. Even though, you know, even at home where my, my engineer was my roommate, but again, we're back that, we're going back that when I just want to create, if I want to sit in my studio and just create on my own, I couldn't because I couldn't work the gear. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? So I can't wake him up if I'm ready at six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Yo, dude, I got an idea. Come on downstairs. I want to work. You understand? Why now it's like, fuck off. I don't have to worry about anything. When I'm done, and it's ready to be mixed properly, boom, and I send it. So do you think that it helped in the beginning that you weren't particularly technical because it meant that you could just think about the dance floor? Well, you know what, listen, I mean, that's, when it comes to remixing, I, my, my priority is the dance floor, always. I mean, um, I envision a club, you know what I mean, and the audience, and all that kind of stuff. Whether it works all the time is another story, but. <laughs> um, do, you, do you even think of a particular club when you're doing a remix, like, oh, it would sound good in here? Yeah, you know, you just remember a time, and it can be any time, you know what I'm saying? It's just something to just make you associate what you're doing with that. And do you have a visual reference of it in your head? Sometimes it's people, people that I know from over the years, being in a room, certain clubbing experiences, people that you know that were into music, and you think about, wow, well, you know, would they like this record, you know, the dance and all that kind of stuff. It's all like, really, it's really like a mental thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, uh, I... You know, listen, people ask me, people ask me to mix a record because I was a DJ. You understand? Because before, many people that were remixing records back in the days, 
not everybody was a DJ, but even the few that were, they were DJs. Chef Pettibon was a DJ, Bruce Forrest, Larry LeVant, T. Scott, Francois Kabokian, uh, Steve Thompson. Everybody has some sort of DJ reference. Why, why do you think that someone like Mariah Carey, who didn't work with very many people, why did they pick you? She, she must have said. No, it was a record company. What's oh, it was a record company. It was a record Process. company. Process. Record <laughs> Just, company. Ah, whatever. She, 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 didn't need, she didn't need it. She didn't need it at all. And some of them don't care. You know what I mean? Is anyone I work with Rita Franklin? It's a record company. You think Rita Franklin cares about, you know, a club mix? Fuck no. I mean, you know, you know, um, a lot of times it wasn't the artist asking. The artist gave, once the artist turned that album in, they were finished. Yeah. Their responsibility was over. Mm. I mean, some had override, some didn't. Listen, Jamiro quite hated Space Cowboy. No way. He hated it. <laughs> he hated it. But you're talking about, but again, you're talking about an artist like Jamiroquai. He rides with a band. He's a proper musician slash, you know, and, you know, he's in on the creative process. He is the producer. So it's not like another artist, like Mariah. Okay, Mariah's the artist, but there's a producer. Yeah. You understand? With Jamiroquai, I totally took a record and like did major surgery on this record that he didn't recognize his record anymore. You understand? It's just, it's faster. It's got a verse chorus that before it was using the original Space Cowboy, it's, you know, it, it, it was a great listening record. You hear it in a lounge, it's sweet, but it's, you know, all this instrumentation, you know, it's a miracle. But now where you heard, you know, uh, a sequence drum machine, and and then it's like I changed the arrangement. So for him, it's like, what the fuck is this? Say my record? I didn't make this like this. You know what I mean? I don't like it, and I don't blame him. I would I would have reacted the same same way. I would have been like, get this shit everywhere you're out of your mind. But it all worked out in the end. Who got paid? <laughs> Wait, who got paid? <laughs> who got paid? I mean, do you think that's even possible now? where a remixer like you could be hired by a record company and because of that remix could multiply the, the fame and the stardom of someone like Jamiroquai. Is that even possible now? Will the market allow it? Is that a budget? What? Well, it's not a, well, today, I mean, listen, today, why you think promotion, you know, you don't have to hire a marketing company anymore with social media and everything. You just, you know, you have to spend all that kind of crazy money. Press it, you do it yourself. I mean, so it's easier to push things today. Um, but our record companies not bothered about remixes anymore, the majors. Yeah, they are, of course. It, that, hasn't, that hasn't dwindled down at all. That hasn't changed. Right, right. It's more prevalent than ever, you understand? But like, it's like if somebody asks me to mix a record, I ask them, who else is mixing this record? Because I don't want to be part of a party pack. Yeah. Because of the technology. Yeah. And because people are just looking to make a mark, they're waiving their fee. They're not spending any money. They have no expenses. Do you understand? Yeah. So they're like, hey, you know what? You know, give me a shot. Give me a shot. Give me a shot. 
So it's taking the budgets and knock them down because they don't, the record company, unless, you know, you know, uh, you know the, the money is just not the same anymore. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? Mm. I mean, for what I, the last Michael Jackson record that I mixed uh, a few years ago, I, I, I got a slight fraction of the Michael Jackson record I mixed before that. It wasn't even close at all. Mm. You understand? At all. Mm. In your heart, what do you think that the optimum remix is? Is it the, the 90s style one where you basically rewrite it? Or is it the 80s style mix you were doing which keeps the essence of the track alive? You know, it's, it's really two different things, technically speaking, you know. Um, any, any DJ is happy to see people go off on this remix when somebody plays it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So whether which era was, was better, I mean, well, in one era you didn't get robbed. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put it like that. All right, tell me more, you know. So. No, what I mean, Rob, is, no, like I said, what I mean, Rob, is like, if you take today, or when, when after time stretching took off and everybody wanted the same, we wanted that, you know, it was all the about. Steve Silk earlier. It effect. was all about changing, getting rid of everything. Basically originals, you know I mean? but you, you were just getting used, paid. You just nothing. used the acapella. Yeah. And you putting a new soundtrack to that, which really shouldn't tell you to be a songwriter. Do you understand? Yeah. So it's one thing if the remix is just, I mean, a lot of times, like, it's pretty the American company, they use the remix as, um, uh, to support, like, say, dance, billboard dance, the dance chart. But the record company really couldn't give a flying shit about, about a dance chart. They don't care. I mean, today more now, only because dance music is so prevalent, so, you know, the DJ culture and everything is mm. massive. Yeah. So everything is about the clubs. You know what I'm saying? The festivals yeah. and everything. This is what everybody, you know what I mean? So now, okay, oh my God. You know what I mean? So now we're on a different curve. You know what I mean? So yes, it's, yes, you know, uh, it's needed. You know what I mean? Um, but, you know, and you, you know, uh, you learn that you're taking a risk because every time you mix a record, it's automatic. You, you're just giving your stuff away. Mm. So this is why I wrap it up point. It's like, if I'm going to give the stuff away because I hear the record's amazing and I feel something, I can take it somewhere. And, you know, it's, it's, it's good for marketing. So I, I, I look at it more as like, and I'm not worried about somebody else making money today because the industry is just shit. Ain't nobody making no money. So this is the Jamiroquai Space Cowboy remix. Uh... One of those where Morales says the remixes were robbed. Uh, I guess there's also Armin Van Helden and Tori Amos and Todd Terry and everything but the girl from that era. But you know, when you consider Morales was there in that golden time of huge remix budgets where he'd be bashing out two or three tracks a week for $20,000, $30,000 plus, I think he's done alright out of the whole remix thing, all things considered.
So the remix conversation has been hard, uh, so it was time to move on to the other thing I really wanted to speak to him about, which was his time as a judge on an X Factor style DJ talent show on Italian TV. Honestly, I cannot think of anyone more suited to the role of knocking down the youth of today a peg or two than Morales. Oh, how I wish I knew Italian. I'm sure this would have been absolute gold. Uh, but still, I think it's necessary to make the point that even though Morales is great for a rant about what's wrong with the business, he also speaks with exactly the same passion about what he loves about the scene as well. Uh, he really does care, uh, and he can be very generous with his praise. But for someone in my position, that's just not as entertaining. And so we carried on putting the world to rights, basically. I want to move on to something that I read that you were doing last year, and it, and it made me smile. You were you judging, what was it? Uh, what was it? It was an Italian... Top DJ, DJ yeah. Italian. Um, and have you seen anything in these new kids that's inspired you? The way they work social media. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing. That, all listen, that's the only, I, I, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> I, 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 I sat in one day on auditions. Yeah. It was scary. Oh no. It was pathetic. I don't want to hear this. You know what I mean? It was pathetic. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the thing was, when, when I checked out the majority of the resumes, EDM, 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 one or two techno. House? The only thing when you house was an older DJ. But the kids, and I'm talking about, and for them it was like, some came in masks, costumes. <laughs> You know what I mean? A duo, you know, girls dress up sexy. It's like, you know, and how about with a pre-programmed set and make him believe it's all about tweaking the knobs. It's like, who are you fooling? You, know, you understand? And for me, it was like... So they'd come on to I was like, TV with a pre-programmed... Like, no, I'm talking about first even auditioning. Yeah. I, I'm talking about, forget about the final 10. Yeah. So imagine, I wasn't happy with the final 10. <laughs> I, didn't get, I didn't choose the, the final 10. I just, I'm talking about me sitting in on the auditions. And I was like, is this, is this, what, is this what it's coming to? You understand? So the new generation is not about, well, this is what I like. This is what's popular. You understand? And you take some kids and, you know, all this noise. And for me, it was like, it's like, it's like, I was like, man, this is scary. It's really scary what I'm seeing. You understand what I'm saying? What they think is great. You know what I mean? It's, but who am I to say? I mean, this is that generation. You know what I mean? So, I mean, there was a, you know, a company, you know, you're, you're impressed by their mixing skills per se. You understand? I mean, I had to make sure that, you know, I had to watch over to make sure that they weren't playing, playing, playing the program set. And yeah. then there was one, there was two guys that when it came to like the battle, because in the end they used to have to do a battle, I said, you can't use tractor, but the other DJ kid's not using tractor. And when I took the laptop away from the guy, no, you have to play a set regular, took a USB stick. Oh. The guy fell apart. <laughs> so, that, so that was on the TV version? Yeah, sure, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. were you the only judge? No, there was two other people. But I was Simon Cowell. 
Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I could imagine you were in that role. <laughs> well, you, you know what? And, you know, and you know. I mean, uh, there was some positive feedback, and I got some negative. Well, you know, you got stupid people. They're like, ah, you know, it's a stupid show, and you know, why are you lowering yourself? To and for me, it's like somebody has to teach. You understand? Somebody has to teach. Somebody has to educate these kids on what, you know, from remixing to DJing. You know what I mean? And, you know, with some people, oh, this is not house music. It's like, since when is the DJ culture just about house music? Yeah. Who said that? You know what I mean? So you that, what do you, first of all, you think DJs on the house music is like, I'm DJing 40 years. House wasn't even part of the picture. Mm. You know what I mean? There was disco. Shit, there was funk. And today, you know, DJing applies to, I don't care if it's country music, pop music, techno music, reggae music. There's DJ for all kinds of music. So who's to say, you know, that guy could come, that badass hip-hop DJ, he could slap that shit and make those edits like Jazzy Jeff worked that shit. You'd be like, yo, that's what I'm talking about. You know, skills and the story that they tell. I mean, that's what, you know, but... Uh, you know, so it's, it's um, somebody has to, so my position was, you know, I mean, I find it interesting. No, I wasn't crazy about, about the finalists. To me, they all sucked. <laughs> <laughs> and only because, they, you know, the, the versatility and what, what they thought, you know, DJ, and it's like, you know, I'm like, you know, and they have it easy. The thing is that they also have it easy. You understand what I'm saying? You know, it's you know, if you really had to like pick up a pick up a needle and put it on the record, that's, that changes the whole game. Mm. That turns the whole game. But I'm not, I'm not here to preach well to be like, well, you know, I mean, you know, you can't play because unless you play with turntables and something, ah, it's like no, it's, it's not about that. It isn't as black and white as that. No, it's black and white. A DJ is your job is to program music for people. That's your job. Yeah. Case closed. Yeah. How you, how you put it together, how you do it, really doesn't matter. Because before, sometimes you didn't even see the DJ in, in the club. Back in the 70s, 80s, you didn't see the DJ. Where's the mm -hmm. DJ? He's somewhere in a, in a hole somewhere in a corner somewhere. You don't mm -hmm. even see him. Mm -hmm. You didn't care to see where the DJ was. It was more about the dancers in, in the bigger clubs. The DJ could be up on, be up on a scaffold somewhere like it was in some place. You, you know, so we do you know how he's... How do you know what he's using? Maybe he's not using anything. Yeah. You know what I'm, I'm, I'm saying? So even today, if you put a DJ way up, I mean, today, because the DJ coach has become so different that they're like icons now, so people want to see them. But if you really realistically put a DJ in a special DJ booth, so like where you can't see, he can do whatever he wants. And like some people, a lot of people playing pre-programmed sets and making believe, and it's like, and you posting shit, and it's like, you think people don't know that you're supposed to see a, a meter moving when, when, when you have a channel up? <laughs> it's amazing. Or that, or that, you know, there's numbers that are supposed to be moving on the screen of the CDJ. Even oh, people quite famous do that. And you think, what? How, how, could, how do they think they can get away with it? They get away with it. Yeah. yeah. Well, not, well, not to us, because we know this. But, but, yeah. but, but you know what? But they don't the, care. Yeah. Yeah. People don't care. <laughs> I mean, this is the, this is this is this is the, the the reality is that they just don't care. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? When you got a guy playing a big stage and nobody's allowed on the big stage, 
You understand? But the artists, with all these visuals, all these wah, 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 play. The headphones. Yeah, 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 yes. If you have time to jump off while your tune is playing, to jump off and, like, you know, buy and surf on the people, yeah. then you're not, you're, you're, not, you're, not playing, you're not playing your music, man. <laughs> I can remember seeing Armin van Helden in London once. He was playing Snap, The Power, and he obviously needed to go to the toilet, and he just left it looping, did it, nipped off for two minutes, came back and pressed play. Now, if you're going to do that, that's how to do it. Yeah, absolutely. That's how to do it. Make it part of the performance. No, man. Well, you know, for me, it's like when I got to the toilet, I have to plan that 10-minute record. <laughs> yeah. And run to the toilet. Security ready, boom. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, man, I mean, when you were playing sets in stereo, that were whatever, 20 hours or something like that. I had a toilet close to the booth. <laughs> and only like in Japan, where I like in Japan, you have a, the toilet in the DJ booth. Oh, that's good. And so, yes, the best. It's surprising how little that happens over here. I can't think of that many DJs. That's why I don't drink. That's why I don't drink beer during my set. Yeah, good, you know what I mean. Good move. Good move. So actually, what um, on stereo? That was a club where the DJs really had control. It was a throwback to the ideals of, say, the Paradise Garage, where. You, you might be a shareholder in the club, you were involved in the installation of the sound. Is there anything like that now where the DJs really own it? Um, I don't know of any club today. But it's a lot of work. I mean, even, yeah, yeah, uh, even Sven Vat did it with Cocoon. Yeah. And Cocoon in Frankfurt was, a, was an amazing, amazing venue. The sound was American, top-notch, lighting. The booth was like, wow. I mean, the, you move the monitors for placement. I mean, it was like, wow. You know what I mean? It's like top of the line. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. You know what I mean? It's a lot of work. Especially today, you can't be a DJ. Whoever owns a club, you can't be traveling all over the place and, yeah. you know, any kind of business. You need to be hands-on for your business to be successful. But as in terms of DJ performance, it must have been the ultimate to be playing in a space where you knew the crowd as well as you did. No, you in your knew, own club. Yeah, and you knew In your own club because everything. nobody could tell you nothing. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? And they knew it was your, they knew, they knew it was, they knew it was, people know you're coming to your house. You know what I mean? They're going to come anyway. Okay, maybe, ah, you know what? Uh, there was a moment where he played, eh, I wasn't crazy about the record, this record played, but that's also part of the story. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's that journey, it's, it's that thing, it's just that, you know, I'm going to Davis' house today, man. I'm going to go hang out at Davis' house, you know, man. I'm going to get fucked up and dance, and, you know, I'm going to go chill out. You know what I mean? And that's what it was. And, you know, it's my sound system. It's how I wanted it. It wasn't that I, was, I had to be dependent on someone else. You know what I mean? I wanted it, I had it. You know what I mean? It was like that. I want it. I want it now. And that's how it was. And are you tempted to build something like that again? Um, I wouldn't, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't mind being a consultant. I would, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, 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 uh, I, I, I would love that thing again. It was a lot of work. 
Yeah. I'm talking about the last Saturday of every month for nine years was a minimum 15 hour set. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's and as, old school. And when I first started, I needed, I would fly home the next day, the next afternoon. As the years went on, okay, I went home on Monday. No, <laughs> now I went home on Tuesday. <laughs> And you, you know, I mean, the parties got along. I mean, the, you know, because it wasn't just because owning your own club. Okay, my o official set was fifteen hours for the clubbers. I closed the club at four o'clock in the afternoon, and then it was for the the private friends, and maybe <laughs> yeah. and maybe I have a friend of mine that's another DJ, and you know, and I let him play. We would put the sofas in the middle of the dance floor, or we had the VIP that was close to the booth, and we we hang out. We'd hang out for another eight hours. Carnage. Yes. <laughs> so maybe not a nightclub now, because as you say, it's all this work. But an interesting thing you said before is about people of your generation giving something back and teaching younger people. Do you have any other ideas of how you could do that? Is there any academy you could set up? or Have you got any plans? No, the only thing I can do, man, is just keep doing what I'm doing. That's the best I can. I offer myself, yeah. my experience. I love what I do. I, um, I'm always open to give people advice to the new kid. However, you know what I mean. Do, do any of them ask you? Do any younger DJs? Speak? No, really, DJs ask, and some are intimidated. But me, you know, I, I'm very forward. So I was just, you know. If there's someone, I, you know, and I, I mean, there was DJ once, I'm like, why are you doing this? Because I liked him, I'm like, yeah, but you were lost. And they were like, well, I, I, um, I, 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 I'm trying to make everybody happy. I'm like, but you can't make everybody happy. You know what I mean? And then the person said, well, I'm not happy with myself. And that opened up a whole other kind of worms. Yes, I bet. <laughs> do, you, do, you do you understand what I'm saying? But it's like, <laughs> So here I went for a moment, and so I can explain, I was like, listen, you know, you can't bring your baggage to your music. I mean, isn't there are artists that they express their life through their music, write the songs and all those things. That's something different. But as a DJ, you're not writing, you're not writing music, you're programming music, mm. you understand? So it's not a, today, the problem is like today, do you want to take today? It's just that's about the dance floor. You know, there's nobody pacing themselves. You know what I mean? You, you get a guy that has to open and because he has to play an hour, he's already fucking banging and ain't nobody in the fucking club yet. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? The volume is matching. He's already boom, blah, boom, blah. It's like, yo. So do you wish that there were longer sat you, times? You know I mean? Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's just about people knowing how to just pay attention. You, you, you know, in a sense, so, um, I, I, listen, I, I, I'll have some guys say, you know, what do you think, whatever, and I always say, because of the way the system is today, I would tell them how, I give them honest advice. I'm not insecure, watch over my shoulder, listen, because there are some people that are rude, that they don't bother, they don't want to talk, nah, blah, 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 you know what I mean? You know, and it's, um, so that's just how I give back. Mm. Final question. Thank you for all of your answers. I've enjoyed this. Um, 
when you were at the Paradise Garage, when you were starting out there, did you realise how important that it was on the world stage? So, I mean, I was playing at a, at a club in Brooklyn. Uh, I was a promoter doing my own things. I never played Manhattan. I was 21 years old when I got asked to play at the Paradise Garage. And they put my name on the marquee, what club I came from. I mean, they really like, you know, imagine, they invited a DJ from another club. And the Paradise Garage, but at that time, you know, I only knew New York. I never played in a club in New York. I never went to a club in New York. I was in Brooklyn. But you, I, I went to, no, that's not true. I used to go to Loft and I, I used to go to Loft and I went to a garage as a dancer, you know, and I used to do my, my trips and, you know, I was one of those <laughs> kids that was there for, uh, for 11 hours. And what, was it true about the punch that they'd serve at the bar would have acid That in was it? more at the Loft than the garage. Uh, but you know, it was all about LSD back then. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Weed and LSD. <laughs> um, so you know, I used to trip, but trip, did, trip did, and dance, and be and be like, oh my god! But you heard the stories, like, wow, you know, you know, he plays on four decks and blah 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 blah, and it's like I used to be there. I was like, oh my god! So yeah, so being asked was like being asked to play at the Mecca. Right, so you realised that this was not only the centre of New York in the sense of DJC, you realised this was ahead of the rest but of the world. But for me, New York was my world. Yeah. There was nothing else. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? Brooklyn was my world, forget about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But New York was my front, centre and back. Case closed. And, um, but um, it, was, it was the biggest stage for me. And you got in there. Yeah, you weren't part of the group and you got in there. Not part of the group. So imagine, you know. <laughs> there uh, must you know, have been a lot of haters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, or, or, you know, his, his, all his friends, because it's his house. Yeah. His friends, you know, his people, you know what I mean? He is, a, you know, all they know is this, him. And they this fucking outsider, like, who the fuck is this kid? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, but because I was so new to the game, I didn't care. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't affecting me. It was just a kid. Because I wasn't part of the drama. Yeah. I wasn't part of that scene. So the only way that could affect me, if I was part of the scene, or if I knew people that were connected to the scene. I didn't know anybody. So there was nothing to come back at me. Mm. Until years later, then I, I played a total of 10 times, and, and over the years, it was, you know, got to understand, and as you meet people, because once I played at the, at the garage, I was a new kid on the block. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like a new football player, rookie that just came out of, you know, uh, out of grade school and like, wow. You, you know were the first like, draft. You know, he rocks. It was like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was like that. So it's like, yo, you know, he scored, he, you know, he has an MVP award. So then after that, it was like, I was a new kid. I was a new kid on the block. And here I am today. And isn't it great that he is? He could easily get away with just being some old relic of the scene who goes through the motions. But by God, he's still turning up to clubs and smashing the shit out of it. And he's still giving hardened old hacks like me goosebump moments on dance floors. And hence, I am concluding the show with this Timmy Regisford remix of R.E.M. Losing My Religion. Now, Morales was the first person I ever heard play this uh, way back in 2006 and it was a standout moment for me the last time I saw him play. Just picture the scene, 56 year old man sweating like I don't know what, 
in a tiny little club in an outpost in Northern England going absolutely bananas to REM. And yes, he had his top off. It's just Morales. <laughs>